Welcome to the Grit Show, James Lawrence and Tyrell Gray. This is podcast number one. Pretty this is, excited. This is one, yeah. Number one, yeah. Uh, this is actually probably the only one you'll hear me do the intro. Most the rest of the time it'll probably be James. But we want to start this off by get, letting you guys get to know James. I think there's a lot of people that know the basics. It's like you said earlier, the headlines, right? Yeah. They know the headline of James. But I don't know many of them know the true, like the background side of it, right? When did we actually, when did we first meet? Do you remember? I do. Um, so real quick, this is episode one. This is my friend Tyrell Gray. We're going to co-host this podcast together. Um, but in this episode, um, he's going to interview me. And actually in episode two, I'm going to interview you to get to know yeah, both yeah. of us a little bit better. But the first time we did met, I do remember it. I, I was living in Provo here in Utah and um, we had a mutual friend and you had heard through him that I needed a barbecue. Oh, that's right. And you dropped off a barbecue at my house and I went to, I was so that excited. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. And I went to, I went to throw. <laughs> oh, this is a I bad went to story. Th- I went to, it is my <laughs> crap, I remember. I went that. to throw steaks on the barbecue. I plug it in, I tie it all in, I open it up, and there's a, a, a burnt corn husks and corn that you had cooked and did not serve to whoever, the, whatever, whatever, home, whatever, whatever guest you had over at your house that day, they didn't get to enjoy corn. Here's your, here's your barbecue. And so here's your barbecue. Of, and, a bunch of old corn. And if you're hungry, you can eat the old corn that, that I didn't use for it. So that was, that's how we met yeah. so, so, so many years ago. And I was like, dude, this guy's hilarious. I need to that be is, his that friend. Is, that is 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, I've got to, had a couple of questions just to start this off, just to kind of get us going, because I think this will intrigue people. Um, like currently, like what's your daily routine? Like morning, do you have like a ritual? Like, like you're obviously one of the highest performing athletes in the industry. Um, in my opinion, like a mental giant. Like I don't know anybody strong as you mentally. And, and honestly, that's you, where the show is going to kind of be. You've met my wife, right? Oh yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> good point. <laughs> that, that is a good point. <laughs> Well, what do you, like, what's your kind of daily routine? Do you have a morning routine that you follow? Yeah, uh, n- normally I do. But I, to be honest with you, I appreciate the accolades. Um, but I'm I'm just like everybody else. And I, and I, and I struggle. <laughs> I'm going to argue with this. We're going to see. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I struggle. And so I'm kind of in a funk right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this podcast will help me turn that corner, get out of the, get out of the funk, yeah. meet people and learn other people's um, routines. Uh, I think routine is, is super important. I was listening to uh, a friend of mine, Ed Milet's new book, um, just yesterday as I was coming home from a speaking event, and he talked about, hey, let me look at your routine, and I'll tell you what your future is going to be. Yeah. And so I love that you kind of opened up with routine, um, because my routine right now is a direct reflection of how I feel and where I'm going in my life. And it's like, right, right. I'm at kind of a dead end. And so I'm like... Okay, this is this is kind of a wake up. And I, as I was flying home yesterday and listening to to Ed talk, I was like, okay, I need to I need to get back on track because when I do these big projects, like it is very routine, it is yeah, very specific, it's very structured. There's there's a purpose to everything that we're doing. Yeah. And my wife is actually an amazing expert at routine. I'm I'm in awe every single morning. I'm like, she's doing the exact same thing that she was doing yesterday. But I and I, I even thought yesterday, I'm like. And it is so impressive, like how much and how efficient oh, yeah. it is that she's, she's doing everything she's doing. So I need to, I need to get back into a routine. For me right now, um, what I do is first thing I do is I've got this kind of like vibration plate machine. I get that in, it kind of coats and soaks all my cells and gets me going for the day. And then I just try to get into my my daily routine. But it, it's it's actually hard being an entrepreneur to get into a, a, a real it's, consistent. It's a little routine. bit difficult, right? Because every day is different. Yes. There's, there's never. It's not like, okay, i got to be at the office at night. Like, I, I face that same dilemma. Like, every day, there's it's a different project. It's a different, what am I working on today? And so sometimes you have to be somewhere at 7 a.m. Sometimes you don't have to be anywhere until 7 p.m. So for me, travel also complicates that, too. Because oh, you're in a different place. Sure. You don't have your same food. You don't have your access to your gym. Not I love to ride my bike. You're not on the same bed. So that, all that thing throws it off. And so I, I need to really get into a routine. And you know what? I'm going to write out a good routine that I'm going to shoot for and strive for. And we'll put it in the show notes uh, for what I do. And um, it's just so important to be consistent with a routine. Yeah, and, I love uh, it. Yeah, so that's good. Totally agree. So let's, uh, you know, let's kind of jump into it, James. Let's go. Let's go deep. Let's go from the very beginning. I don't think a lot of people know the very beginning. I actually talked about this earlier with you. you when you go speak, or even in your book, you've only got a certain amount of time. Sure. You don't get. You don't have enough time to kind of tell the whole thing. So let's go deep back to the beginning. Like when I first met you, I can remember you were still doing mortgages, right? 
Do you remember that? I did. I hated it. I've tried yeah. to. I dr- I've tried to block it out. <laughs> oh, oh, even better than that. Okay, here's one more question because you guys will love this story, and I know where James will go with it. Tell me the worst job you've oh ever my God. had. <laughs> yeah, tell me the story. Tell this story. Like I love this. Is my yeah. favorite. Yeah, this is. Uh, I don't know if I want to share the story, but I will. Yeah, share this okay, one. so this is back in 2000. So when did you move to the U.S.? I moved to the U.S. in 1999. And and just real quick, everyone's like, "Well, how did you come to the United States?" Well, I grew up in Calgary, Canada. And and Calgary's world famous for what's called the Calgary Stampede. Yeah, and amazing. Um, it's like amazing. seven days of rodeo. Ten. Ten. Ten, ten, ten days, days of rodeo. The city shuts down. It's a party. It's food. It's rides. It's concerts. It's fireworks. It's everything. And I was listening to the. I got to go to the Calgary Stampede every single year. And I was listening to a radio show. I'm in my early twenties, trying to figure out life. What am I going to do? What's my direction? Still living at home, kind of a dead end job. I hear a radio show contest, and they say we want to find out who can ride the giant Ferris wheel for the entire duration, 10 days of the stampede. And I'm like, dude, I grew up a wrestler. I know Tyrell grew up a wrestler. I'm like, we're mentally tough. We can do this. I'm like, this is a test of the mind, not of the body. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get on the Ferris wheel. And I get on the Ferris wheel and about halfway through, I get a message from my parents. They're like, hey, uh, your job called. You've been fired from your job. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sweet. I need to stay That's on the That's what ride. happens when you don't show when up. You don't show up right? No call, no show. Uh, don't do that. Um, so I, I, I end up staying on the Ferris wheel for 10 days. I, I outlasted all the other competitors, and I won a bunch of money. So I've got money, free time, and I literally hitchhiked a ride from Calgary to Utah. Then I met my wife, celebrating 22 years of marriage as of this recording. We've got five kids, four teenage girls. And my life completely changed from that moment. And, you know, it's funny because you look back on your life and you wonder, like, man, where would I be had I not made that decision? Oh, for and sure. the, the importance, and we'll talk about this in a different episode, but the importance and how impactful one decision in your life is. And, and you can look back on your life and look at those major turning points and pivot points. I call them pivot points. For sure. And and how impactful they would be. And I often wonder, where would I be today if I didn't make that decision to get on the Ferris wheel? And where would I be today if I made a decision to quit yeah, that Ferris absolutely. wheel? Because that completely changed the trajectory of my oh, life. Yeah. Your entire life would be different. And, you know, I've had a quote once that said something like that. Maybe you're the one that said it. Like, we're all one decision away from greatness. Yeah, no, we're one decision away from a different outcome. Yeah, different outcome. It, I, That's I, what I, it is. I believe it's Mel, I believe yeah. it's Mel Robbins, and I quote it. Um, and and I, I, I like to, to change it a little bit and just say we're one, we're one action yeah. away from a different yeah, like outcome. Better. Right? And, oh, and because a decision and outcome, they kind of go hand in hand. But I love that, that we're, we're always one moment for sure. Away from a completely different trajectory of our lives, yep. which is fascinating. What was your original question? So, worst job ever. So, you're in U.S. Oh, yeah. You're so married. I, I you married got this him beautiful in the wife. I, no I, kids yet. No, no, I got a couple kids. Oh, you did? I got a couple kids. I was managing. I, I'm big into golf. I love golf. A lot, a lot of people know this about me. It's my first passion, my first love. Actually, wrestling was. Golf was, too. Still love golf today. Any, any opportunity I get, I go golf. Anybody wants to invite me to come golfing, I'll, I'll come. You got to pay for it, but I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> so... Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I was managing. I was managing uh, a high-end uh, sporting goods store, and I remember I was on salary. I was like, "This is amazing! Like they're gonna pay me this amount every single month." So I knew I was on a fixed income, and and this was before I really truly became an entrepreneur. I was making like twenty six thousand dollars a year, and I was like, "Whoa, I'm making twenty six thousand dollars a year! I mean, this is amazing." <laughs> And then I'm like, I had a kid. We got a mortgage. I'm like, this is the American dream. I got married. I'm I got, here. I've got it. I'm, I'm living it. And then um, I was like, but I'm not making enough money. Yeah. And then and then so I was like, I applied for this job. It was at a place called Michael's. Is this, is this a story <laughs> yeah, you wanted? Yeah, this is it. Okay. <laughs> so, I love this story. Yeah. So I think about it all the time. It's actually a story called Michael's Arts and Crafts. Okay. <laughs> and it's predominantly uh, visited by women who are crafty and like to do this kind of thing. Um, and good for them. Uh, everybody has to have hobbies. And so I, I I put on a suit and I saw a job posting. They wanted a, an assistant manager for Michael's Arts and Crafts. And so I apply. Holy crap, I get the job. I'm super excited. They offer me $32,000 a year. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to improve my managerial skills. I'm going to learn a new skill set. This is going to increase my portfolio. And this is the trajectory I want to be on. Right? Michael's Arts and Crafts. Um, not not officially sponsored by Michael's Arts and Crafts. <laughs> yeah. I love this story. Yeah, I'm mean, so excited for the punchline. Yeah, okay, so, so yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> so I'm I'm a few weeks into this this job, and it is literally the worst job I've ever had. Like I'm I'm arranging fake floral designs, and I'm stack stocking shelves, and I'm like 
this is not managerial. This is like labor. (laughs) (laughs) And this certainly isn't worth $32,000 a year. But I was like super excited. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to do it. And I remember going home one night and I've got two little baby girls, Lucy and Lily. And I'm like, I don't take baths. But this night I decided to take a bath. I'm like, I need this. So I get in the bath. And I'm kind of laying, I'm laying on my back and the water level is like cheek high. And I'm like, I'm literally two inches away from just ending it all. And I, like this job so bad. Like this job is so bad. I don't want to do this anymore. You're just going to push down that extra gonna, two I'm inches. Two inches and I could, I could end everything. And again, we just talked about one decision it can change the trajectory of life. I'm glad I chose life in this moment um, and, and continued on. I got out of that job. I did not last. A different opportunity came um, that took my life into a totally different direction. A new opportunity to manage a store in Portland, Oregon or Beaverton. And we ended up moving our little family there. Anyways, that that's that is the, the story, worst job the, ever. The worst like, job the, I've ever had. That's got to be a bad job when you get to the point where you're like, I'm just doing it. I'm just I'm sinking down oh, the dude, bathtub. And, I, and, and it's I, over. And I've done the oil rigs and construction <laughs> and all these things. Michael's <laughs> arts and crafts was the worst job I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're gonna skip the the job, <laughs> the rest of the job search. Um, let's kind of jump right into the what got you into. Have you ever shared uh, the story, like how I'm you got into triathlon? I'm embarrassed about like, this. Like this is actually too. an amazing story yeah. too. This so far this podcast. Have you, have you, told, have you told this publicly? Uh, you probably have. I, I have. Yeah. This is okay. so far. This podcast is turning into <laughs> dumb decisions that James has made to get him to where he's at today. Painful and, choices. And maybe, maybe that everybody. That I, I think everybody has to go through these types of experience to to become who we ultimately oh, sure. all need to be. So, I I grew up a wrestler. Loved wrestling. Um, Not just any wrestler, though. Like you, like you won the divisional championships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like so. It, so, like it, in Canada, it, so in the United States, to put it in perspective, it'd be, state people, it'd be like a state champion, right. right? So in Canada, we don't have states; we have provinces. I was, I went undefeated my senior year, won the provincial championships, went on to represent Canada. Was way in over my head at the national championships. Got yeah. handed to me, but I learned a lot. Yeah, amazing um, to- experience. Tore my shoulder, had to exit wrestling. It was a great excuse to move on. Anyways, I, I loved wrestling. Still have a massive passion for it. Love MMA. I'd love to get some MMA guests on here. Um, but uh, got into strength training and weights and loved that part of fitness. Well, I came down to the United States. That's kind of where I met Sonny. was at yeah. school. And then we started getting into the fitness together. Long story short, we got married. Um, and, you know, a couple years into it, she was like, hey, you know, we've been going to the gym. Let's do this local four-mile fun run. Thanksgiving, they do. It's called the the Turkey Trot. And I was like... Fun run? Nobody runs for fun. Like, seriously, have you ever seen somebody running on a trail? They're smiling. They're not. I challenge anybody to find a smiling, happy runner. I'm sure they exist. It's like a, a unicorn or a leprechaun out there. So so it's funny I say that because my career has been a lot of a lot of running. We've had some fun running. We've, We've had, had some fun running. I now have. Yeah, my opinion has changed. I'm like, a fun run that doesn't exist. So I show up. I do this. I'm all excited. I'm going to support my wife. We're going to go run together. It'll be a fun time. Toe the line, gun goes off, I, sh- I go off like a cannon. I'm like, I'm going to win this thing, right? <laughs> I go out at a six-minute mile. Yeah, with a have zero, at this point, zero endurance experience. Z- like nothing. nothing about pacing, no, I, and timing, I, And I have nothing. no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I completely implode like 400 meters into this thing. And I it turns into a struggle bus, um, lactic acid or full, full force, legs are jelly, and I'm just now trying to get through this thing. And about three miles into this, I look over... There's a group of beautiful women pushing their kids in strollers, laughing, playing, having a great time, d- blowing by me. <laughs> like, like I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I'm this physical gym specimen, and how is this happening? And this is not demeaning to women. I think women are powerful. I think they're incredible athletes. But in this moment, they were pushing their kids in strollers. Let's be real. This shouldn't be <laughs> happening to a 20-something-year-old male um, when these ladies are just out for literally a fun run. And I finished the, the race. We go to we go to Thanksgiving dinner that night. And um, I'm in the corner just, like, hacking up a lung. You know, have you ever gone on that run experience where you get, like, red face and for the rest of the day you're coughing and you don't know why? And it's, like, it's pathetic. Well, lovingly, my wife, Sunny, comes over to me and she says, James, you're pathetic. <laughs> and I just signed you up for the Salt Lake City Marathon. Figure it out. And I'm telling you, this thing, this was in November. The race was in April. I had, like, five months to fig- to figure out how to run a marathon. I download this free plan online, um, try to figure it out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I bought the most expensive pair of shoes I could find. Um, and I just start running. And I start following this plan, and I'm diligent. I got home, I'm like, Sonny, 
I ran, I did my long run today. I ran six miles. And she's like, yeah, good for you. The race is 26. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, I do the marathon. Absolutely hated it. I got to the finish line, threw up everything. I knew nothing about nutrition. Did you remember your time? What was yeah, it? it was it was four hours and nine minutes. Nine minutes. First, four, first marathon. First marathon ever, four hours, nine minutes. And Sunny did the, the, the race too. Thankfully, I beat her. Um, but we go, we go to church and next day at church, I didn't go. She went and they were like, Oh, where's James? How did the marathon go? And she's like, Oh, he can't walk today. <laughs> so back, you beat her, but she's still her. functioning. She's still functioning. <laughs> so back, back it up two minutes to the moment where I learned I couldn't walk MMA. We've, I, I love UFC. There was fights that night in Salt Lake city and I had tickets yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, Oh, I'll just go arrogantly. Right. Like I'll just go run the marathon. I'll be fine. I'll go, go to, I'll go watch the show. Well, I do the marathon, hate it, go to the fights that night. I'm exhausted. I'm like, screw this. I'm watching the show. I'm not moving to, at all. So I sit in my seats for like three hours. Show ends. I go to stand up. I can't. <laughs> my knees are swollen up to the size of cantaloupes, and I'm like, okay, I'm in arguably the machoist environment ever. <laughs> yeah. And like I testosterone through the roof. Through the roof. End of the, everyone's like, all the fights have happened, place goes nuts, everybody's excited. I can't get up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need a wheelchair to get to my car. <laughs> this is, who are you with? I was with my friend Mike Beckdahl. And he's like, and he ran the marathon too, he's fine. Um, and he's like, let, let, me go get a, let me go get a wheelchair. Go get a wheelchair, we get me in my car, I'm super embarrassed. And I, this was kind of a moment for me, right? Again, one decision away from a different outcome. And I, I thought to myself, this moment is not going to define me. I can either let it define me, and but I was like, I'm not going to allow this to be who I am. Right. I learned in that moment that, because you hear it all the time, I don't run because I have bad knees. And, oh, I, and I could have said that exact sure. same thing. And all of a sudden I realized, no, I don't. I, I had this experience because I wasn't trained well enough. I, I went I went too big too quick. Yep. And I didn't allow my body to adapt and evolve and, and go through the real true process of strength and growth. For sure. And what happens in training is our is our muscles develop faster than our ligaments and our tendons. And a lot of people that's why just like you, I yep. don't encourage people to go from couch to Ironman. Yep, I think for it's sure. a bad decision. Bad decision. And yep. And as you'll learn with my journey, I, I did a lot of racing before I tackled even even a half and a full. So I, I made that initial mistake. I went from couch, basically, to marathon. To marathon. And it was a bad day. And I thought to myself, okay, why are so many other people experiencing not this? And it's because they did it in the right way. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this in the right way. And it was right at Lance Armstrong's peak. And a buddy of mine was big into cycling and Canada, I didn't really follow the Tour de France. I wasn't into cycling, wasn't into endurance. And he said, hey, it's the final day of the Tour de France. There's this guy, Lance. He's American. He's going to win it. Come over to my house and watch it. Yeah. And I went over to his house, and I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And, I, and I loved it. I got hooked onto the Tour de France and cycling. He's like, hey, I did this race last year. It's a triathlon, swim, bike, run. This was my time. You should do that race. And I said, oh, I'll beat your time. And he goes, no chance, <laughs> zero chance you beat your, my time. I just saw what you did at the Salt Lake City Marathon. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's on. Like, I'm competitive, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm like, it's on, screw you. I think it was a $100 bet. And I I dove in to the endurance sport, and I loved it. I fell in love with the community. I was doing it with my wife. In Utah, the community was fantastic at the time. Fun races every Tons, single weekend. Yeah. And so I remember that season, I did 14 races, race as much as I could. I learned a ton. And these are mostly smaller races. All sprints. sprints. All sprints. Explosive, fun racing, super painful. Hammer down for an hour. Hour. All yeah. out. Everything you got. And I got I got really good at biking. I got my, my run speed up. I learned about power and technique. No, at this time, did you, did you have a coach or were you? No, I was just. This was just all, all on your own. All on my own. Just it figuring it out. Just asking as many people as I can. There was a couple local pros in the area. I just like latched onto them, tried to yeah. learn everything I could. Um, and that, that's really how my journey got started yeah. and, and just like having a bunch of negative experiences. And then I started to surround myself with the community and understanding, but not letting those, but not letting those moments define you. Like you said, right. Like, and I think we see that a lot. We see people that they have something negative happen and they like that defines the rest of their life. And it doesn't have to, like you have that choice. Like yeah. we've just discussed to, to do something different. 
So I think this is something that people don't know about you, because I don't think they realize how many years that was. So that was, what was that? 2004. 2004. 2004, 2005. So, so when did you do... Like the first, first Ironman was until 2008. Yeah, so the first arguably, like, like national news breaking one was the 50-50, and that was in... 2015. 2015. Well, so and, you had 13 years... Lead up to it. Lead up to that. Right. 13 years of base, of foundation, of building Absolutely. those ligaments. And I had, and I had, I had broken two world records before the 50. Right. That, that, you know, not a lot of people talked about. Because yeah, and I don't think people know that either. So you went, so you started doing, and, and honestly, like, let's be honest, like you're a sprint magician. Like in sprints, I, that was your deal. I was good at it. Like yeah. you're phenomenal. Well, and actually I've had the, the genome testing and everything. And genetically, the way that my body is built and fibers and everything, I'm predispositioned for short powerful stuff like that hour thing like which is, I am not which is ironic that you're I'm not built like I, sh- right. I shouldn't be doing yeah and I don't the, think people know that they don't yeah I should not be doing the long stuff I'm actually genetically built to do faster like I can produce a lot of power shorter amounts of time like I'm right. not I'm not designed to do the longer stuff where, where I'm the exact opposite I, like short sprint stuff just kills me yeah but I can go out and grind away for 15 16 17 hours which I have proven repeatedly <laughs> <laughs> embarrassingly well and this is this, and this is the, the topic that we should talk about one time what's harder the pro that does a 750 Ironman hey. or the weekend warrior that does a 1655 I'll tell you what after doing a 16 hour Ironman I think it's easier to be a pro and do an 8 it's gotta be it's gotta be <laughs> like, so half the time that's gotta be easier so, so the we won't go into too depth on this, but my opinion on this topic is um, the day itself is easier for the pro because he's pushing his limits for a shorter period of time. The 16 and a half Ironman is pushing their limits for a longer period of time. But what we're not taking into consideration, the lead up and preparation sure. that it takes to get to that level and do it. So I think on the day, it's harder for the individual that's pushing their limit for a double the time. But I think the sacrifice and effort that was put in to get to the level that the pro is at is a lot harder. Um, but then, you know, there's all the, the well, things let's, about let's, balancing regular life for and, sure. and all well, that Well, let's take that too. one step farther, though. For these pros, and we all know pros. We've, we've got a bunch of friends sure. that are pros. We've seen them. So, and maybe this is something we'll discuss in another episode. But so taking that same thing, I agree with you. For the, for the pro, I think that lead up is a lot more intense than for the amateur that does a 16-hour Ironman. For sure. But who is going to have the most life-changing experience? Like, honestly, my first Ironman, the pro that won that race probably doesn't even remember it anymore. But that race literally changed my life. And we'll discuss about that at some I, other I, time. I had a guy yesterday. Uh, I, we, we motivate and inspire a lot of people to do the full distance triathlon, the Ironman. They go do it. And I had a guy, he, he sent me his finish line picture, as a lot of them do, and I want to hear the stories. And he sends me a thing, and I said, tell me about it. How was it? And he says, it was magical right. and life-changing. Yeah, and he's 16 hours or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know crazy. what his time was, but it certainly yeah. wasn't. It wasn't eight hours like, like the pros was. Okay, we digress. So yeah. So anyway, so you. So at this point, so you're doing sprints, you're doing all these local races. So what? Where did the idea come from? Because I I remember this because I was there for this this part of it. What kind of got you? Like, hey, I want to make a world record because that's where it kind of came from. It the first idea was the half, right? Yeah, and here's what the half. And here's what a lot of people don't know about the story is. And I and I think where a lot of people make a mistake today because social media there's a lot more people seeing people do a lot of stuff like this. When I when I was doing it, there was like one guy, it was Dean Carnassus, 50 right. marathons, 50 days, 50 states, yep. total legend in the sport. And even at the time, I was just chasing a passion. I didn't want to be an influencer. This wasn't about branding. Right. This wasn't about sponsor. There wasn't about any of that. This was about me doing something because I loved it. Right. And and I had actually it was right when the economy was going sideways. Right. I was I now I was a true entrepreneur. I was living the you know, quote unquote the American dream. I had my own mortgage company. Well, two thousand eight, everything goes sideways. I do my first Iron Man and loved it. And that's kinda of when I fell in love with the sport because I, I did okay. My first ever full distance was an eleven ten. That's great. And, and I completely time. fell apart on the run. And I was like, ah, I love this sport because, one, there's 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 some variety. There's swim. There's bike. There's run. And then on top of that, what I've learned over time is there's the mental side of it. Yeah, there's nutrition. Huge. There's um, recovery. There's so much more that goes into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I was like, this is a multifaceted sport. It's, it's really and it's a lifestyle. Take, it is a lifestyle. And it's going to take a long time to get an expert right. at this type of thing. And I was like... Okay, I, I believe I've, I've maxed out th- what I can do with with sprints, right. and I and I fell in love with figuring out how to and now how do I manage that and how do I go faster over this long distance? 
And it was right during the economic crash and we lost everything and we were struggling trying to figure things out. And my father-in-law ran a charity called In Our Own Quiet Way and they were raising funds for um, an orphanage and a woman's feeding shelter and to build uh, dams in Africa. And I was like, okay, I want to I want to I want to make a difference. I want yeah. I want to help other people. And so I was like, you know, what? I started to see people raising money with racing and whatnot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go do as many half Ironmans as I can. And I'm going to do it to build these dams bring in Africa. Bring some awareness. Bring some awareness. And we're going to call it the Try and Give a Dam Project. And I was like, oh, that's a catchy name. Yeah, and social cool. media was just starting yeah. to go off big. And Try T R I Dam D A M, kind of a fun play on words. And didn't set out to break any records or anything. I was just doing it to make a difference and push myself physically and mentally. That was the biggest thing I could think of at the time. And I set out on that journey. And I'm like, I'm going to do 20, 22 half Ironmans. Or uh, what was it? Yeah, 22 half Ironmans in 30 weeks. And uh, as we were progressing. And these are all, these are sanctioned. Everyone all sanctioned, sanctioned events. events. Yeah, absolutely. And all official events had to travel to them, get to them and whatnot. And we had no money. And I was like, no, I'm doing this for the charity. And... As we were going through it, I was like, I wonder what the, I wonder what the world record is for this. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we started to get momentum. We started to get some uh, publicity. We were raising some funds and found out that we were on trajectory to break the Guinness World Record. Yeah. Well, we break the record. Unbelievable. Raise money. Build some dams. Impact some other people. Um, economy has completely tanked. We've lost everything. And I was like. Well, and this is something. Let me just interrupt you for a second. To put some perspective here so people realize this. Like, this, this was one of the things. Like, as your friend, this was life-changing for me. Like, I wasn't doing the races, but, like, I remember, tell me you remember this story. I remember one of the races. This is a BMW story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you were like, you're like, bud, I got to, I got to drive to this race. Branson, Missouri. But I, but I, I'm not, I don't know if my vehicle will make it. And yeah. So I, I well, have, I didn't have a vehicle. Yeah. But, oh, that's right. You I didn't have no one. Vehicles. And I couldn't afford the plane ticket to get there because I was, get, at the time, <laughs> I was trying right. to be creative. I was getting people to sponsor. Hey, will you sponsor this one flight with Air Miles? They would. And I'm like, okay, I got to check the bike fee. I don't have money. I got to buy food for the family. Um, and you were like, I'm like, here, take take my BMW. I had BMW a 7, 7. Yeah, yeah BMW 745 7. LI. At the and time. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I remember I go to take it to the gas station. Did I put the wrong gas in? I put the, I or did it, an oil change. It was something. It was I did something, something wrong. Right. I can't remember. And I, I had to make the phone call to you, and I was like, hey, um, <laughs> I, I did XYZ. I can't remember what it was. And you were like, don't, don't turn it on. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you're like, I'm going to come pick it up. We took it to the shop, got it back to me in enough time. I drive straight to Branson, Missouri. It was like a 15-hour drive or something. I don't have any money to get a hotel. I remember you just barely made it. I barely make it. I get to check in right when they're shutting it down. I sleep in my car. I had enough money. It was right when Subway was, Subway's not a sponsor, but it was right when Subway was doing $5 footlongs, right? Anybody remembers this? So I had like 10 bucks. I had enough for gas and 10 bucks. So I bought two $5 footlong sandwiches. And I slept in my car the night before the race. I did like a 5.15 half Ironman. I was like, well, I, I need to drive home, but I stink. And so I ju- there was a fountain at the finish line. So I jump in the fountain. I, sh- I shower myself off in this fountain. I jump back in the car and I crush this foot long sandwich on the way home. That's all I ate for two days to fuel myself with air. Because we had no money, but I was raising money for charity. Uh, but that was the kind of struggle that like I was like. Well, well that's the thing that I think. And, and I will argue with anybody. Out of all my friends, I honestly, and I know you kind of play it now, but you. You literally are a mental giant in the in every field, in every aspect. But I think it's these little things that got you there. It wasn't like one day you woke up and you're like, "Okay, I'm I'm the baddest man on the planet. Like I can do anything." Like it was those little struggles. Well, one of my one of my favorite quotes. Like not only were you building those ligaments and tendons to match your muscles, but yeah, you're building that mental strength to make it through what you eventually. I mean, change millions of people's lives, just inspiring them with what you eventually accomplished. Well, one of my favorite quotes um, that I say, if I can say that, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, um, is uh, the secret to success is doing a lot of little things consistently over a long period of time. Right. And and I started by doing all of those races, doing sprints, being consistent with it, learning, growing, surrounding myself with people, to the point where eventually I could believe that I had what it took to to do as many half Ironmans in a year. And, and, and help others uh, through fundraising. And I did that. And then once I finished that, you know, it's interesting when you're in the middle of, of doing anything, if you're pushing your boundaries, your limits, it feels impossible. It feels like it's the hardest thing you've ever done until you accomplish it. Right. Right. Until you don't quit on yourself, till you face the adversity, overcome those fears, tackle the challenges and make it. Right. right. So we'll call it standing on the top of that mountain. 
Absolutely. When you're standing on the top of that mountain, you've changed. You now have a different skill set, a different set of experiences. And if you look over, you can see a mountain that you couldn't see before that is only right. viewable at the top 100%. of that mountain. Absolutely. And all of a sudden I said... More opportunities. Yeah. yeah. And, and all of a sudden I said, well, I don't want to be the half Ironman world record holder. Right. What's the full Ironman world record? And at the time it was 20 official events around the world. And that was, this is what makes this world so record that, hard. So the half was... Was the half 20? How, what was the 22. Word? It was 22 was the half record. Well, it was 20. It was I 20. Did 22. And you did 22. Yep. And then the, and so the full was 20 as well. It was well. 20 as well. Okay. And I... And I it wasn't and, the same person though. No, no, different guy. This guy was out of Belgium. And and that's what makes the official event record difficult is because there's a lot of logistics involved. Tons of travel. There's a lot of travel. You have to line up the races appropriately. Right. So this journey, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do 22 fulls. I want to set, I don't want to break it. Yeah, I want to set a new yeah. bar. I want to set a new bar. And so I was like, okay. I looked at the counter. I looked at finances, what was possible. And I was like, okay, I believe I can do 30. Uh, I believe now, I can do 30. Uh, and it sorry, took me through 11, 11 countries. I'm interrupting one more time, but I just want people to understand at this time, this is not, this is before you're famous. Like, you didn't have sponsors. You no. didn't have, people aren't, like, this is like the you just joke, Subway, Subway was not knocking on your door. No. Like, this was... This was friends and family and tightening our belts as a family. Like, I can remember your kids. Like, you guys were, it was tough. Like, things were hard. And I, and I think, like you said, people make excuses. Oh, I can't do it because my knees hurt. Oh, I can't do it because I don't have the money. Like, you literally did not have the money. Like, well, it didn't exist. We'll say this, too, because this is, I want to answer this question on the podcast because I get this email weekly. And it's of someone that says, okay, I, I've been inspired. I've been motivated, blah, blah, blah. I want to do X. How do I get sponsorship? Right. And and we're in a very competitive day and age of eyeballs and sponsorships. And back in the day, it was really hard to quantify the return on someone's investment because it was like, hey, I'll put your name on my jersey. We'll get some eyeballs. I'll get on a podium, this and the other. Well, today's day and age, it is very easy to track and quantify the exposure rate that you're getting through all the analytics that, that exist. And so... It's the, one of the number one questions I get is, okay, I want to do this project, but I can't do it on my own. I need corporate sponsors. And there's there's good news and bad news. One, I heard a quote once, and it was, it was, and I'm totally going to mess it up, but it's, be so great that they contact you, right? right? That they can't deny who you are. The, on Under Armour's website back in the day, because every website has like a sponsorship in, inquiry form right. and whatnot, and co- big companies have people that are employed just to say no. Like, that's their job, to say For no sure. to inbound requests. Well, Under Armour didn't even let you inquire. It says, when you're big enough, yeah. we'll find you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I love that. And so in my mind, I said, I'm not big enough. Right. I need to do something greater to be recognized by you. And that's what everybody's doing today. They're like, I'm contacting you. Give me, give me, give me. Right. And I think it's a bad approach because in, in, when I first started... Um, I would say, okay, I love this brand. I use this brand. I'm going to promote you for free. How can I create value for you before I'm ever like, give yeah. me, give me, give me? And so 2010, 2012, I used the same products, the same sponsors, because it was actually products that I loved you and in. used, and I was giving them free exposure. As, it was kind of like positioning them. 100%. And then I would go to the ask, and they were like, oh, yeah, you've been an amazing ambassador for us. Let's partner and see what we can do with this. You know, it's, it's interesting. I see people all the time that they want to shortcut that line. Like you just said, they want, how do I get the sponsor right now? Well, you haven't done the work. Yep. You got to do the work. If you if you truly want to succeed and you want to develop that grid or in whatever you're looking at, you got to put in the effort. You got to put in the effort, which you did in a phenomenal way. So, so, so kind of back to that. So now we're, we've done the halves. You got well, the world record. Well, well, real quick, I want to answer that question publicly for people. The, the way you do it is one, you position yourself, you create value. Um, but in those early days, this is how I did it. I went to my inner circle. I went to local companies because at this part of your journey, it's going to have to be an emotional sale to where it's like, look, I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm trying to get there. I'm willing to do the work. Will you back me? And I, re- I remember distinctly, you were one of those guys. You were running a successful business at the time. You're a fantastic entrepreneur. And you, you knew where we were at financially. And I remember it, it like, I didn't do it in front of you. I didn't do it in front of you, but when you left it, it brought me to tears. You walked in, you had a stack of cash 
and you said it was a, it was one thousand dollars, and th then that was life changing to me. And you walked into my house, and you kind of like you made it rain. Do you remember this? <laughs> I do remember. Yeah. You made it rain with these these, you, and you did it in twenties, so it looked more impressive. I should have done you, once. You should have done once. It would have been amazing. It would have been a shower of ones. It would have made me feel like a stripper. But you came you came in and you you just started fanning out these twenty dollar bills and shooting them all over the floor. And, and I was just so emotional in that moment because that I used that money to either get one flight or whatever it was or put food on the table, whatever it was, um, to bridge that gap. And that's my advice to people is you have to, you have to tap into your network, your current right. network. And that, that's why relationships are so important. Huge. I, I mean, Absolutely. they're massive. And so I, I would go and I'd, be, I'd talk to a business owner, a friend of mine or a local company and say, and you want to go in with specific asks. And so I would go in and like, hey, this is the project I'm doing. This is the impact we're trying to have. And don't just go in and say, will you give me $5,000? Say, this is my current need. These are the three flights that I have. Would you be willing to cover those? Would you be willing to cover the, the fee to check my bike in? Would you be able to cover the registration for this one race? And if you break it down like that, they can be like, oh, yeah, I can now see where that money's going and I can see where you're trying to get to. So that's my advice to people that are starting out. Like, it's got to be a local emotional sale. Trust me, these big companies don't care about you until you're big enough. They will come to you when you are big enough. So live your life in a way that you're being so exceptional, so extraordinary that you cannot be denied those bigger opportunities. Well, and, th and this is another thing I, I don't think a lot of people realize. And you've changed a ton. Like, honestly, I've known you forever now. I'm literally one of my closest friends in the entire world. But when I first met you, you were very introverted. Like, that was not easy for you. It wasn't easy for you to go to a local company and be like, hey, these are my needs. How do we how do we reach these needs? Like, that was tough. Yeah. That was, and That was a big ask. Yeah, there's a lot of different personality types out there, and I'm definitely an introvert, and it was something really hard for me to do. But th that's the whole point is, is growing, changing, evolving right. as humans. I, I believe... I, be, I believe in life we all have to learn the same lessons. And if, you, if you're in a position in your life right now where the same crap keeps happening Every to time. you, dude, this is your fault. Yeah, because you're not, you're not hitting the pause button and going, okay, why is the same thing happening to me over and over again? It's an opportunity for you to press pause on your life, take a step back, meditate, think, uh, dissect, evaluate, talk to people. Figure out why the same things keep happening to you, what you need to learn to overcome that to get to the next lesson. And I hate to think of life as like, hey, I need to figure out how to get to the next lesson. But it is true because in order to navigate this life successfully, uh, we all have to learn the same lessons. Now, we're all going to learn them in different ways. And I've seen you learn lessons different than For I sure. have. And I've learned different lessons that you have. And we're not all going to learn them the same way. But that's the secret to life is pushing that pause button, taking a step back and having that the courage to have self-reflection, dissecting and going, okay, this is about accountability. What do I need to change? What what do I need to learn in order to navigate this lesson? Because I promise you, if you don't do that in your life, the exact same things are going to keep happening to you. You're going to turn into a victim mentality, which I absolutely hate. It's totally destructive. But that's the pattern that you're going to see. If you don't take that time, if you don't press pause, if you don't learn the lessons, you're going to adapt and believe that you've become a victim, which is a terrible way to go through and navigate your life. Absolutely. We, and we've seen that in our own lives. We've seen it in other people's lives. It, like, life's going to give you that challenge until you learn the lesson. Yep. And I go, okay, I'm moving on. So, so bring me back to, we, we've got the half Ironman world record now. Recognized by Guinness Book World Records. Yep. Um, you've made tons of money now. You're a millionaire, right? Now? Yes. <laughs> then? Oh, oh, then? No. No. <laughs> Where, are, we are we talking now or then? <laughs> so, I'm, so very, I'm, very, so, I'm very blessed. So this is something I think people need to realize is you accomplished that. And I love what you said that you were doing that for not just you. Like it was for you. It was something you love, you're passionate about. But your goal was, hey, I'm trying to help other people. And I love the Try and Give a Damn Project. I, I think, like you said, it was really fun play on words. But when that world record was accomplished, it wasn't like the journey was over. Like you weren't. You weren't home. You weren't didn't have millions of dollars in the bank. So what, what made you go and do like? Because you, you like you said, you you're on that mountain peak and you're like, hey, I can break, the fool, and so what was your motivation behind it? Like, like why? I, I think early on I realized that you have to do things out of passion. You have to do things out of purpose, and you have to do things, for you. For sure. Because you know when I when I did that first half Ironman world record, I was like, this is it. 
Yeah. This is going to put me on the map. Big flex. You know, yeah, big flex. I started coaching. I was like, oh, okay, what's going to separate me from other coaches? I started to turn into that entrepreneur, marketing angles. Um, and then I did that and I'm like, oh, nobody cares. Yeah. Because they're busy exactly. in their own lives. They're doing their own things. And yeah. I'm like, I have to be doing this because I want to help other people and because I want to do it for myself. Right. I want to know what my mental, physical, spiritual limits are. And so that's what it, that's when I started to do the half, I mean, the full Ironman world record was like, I want to continue to evolve, to push my limits and to find out who I am and what I'm going to do in those like pivotal moments where you have to make a decision. And so then we tackled, you know, like I said, put 30 Ironmans on, on the, on the calendar. It was going to take us through 11 countries. And it was interesting when I started contacting sponsors again, they were like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay. Again, thanks for the reminder. Nobody cares. Um, just keep grinding away. When you're big enough, they'll notice you. And that kind of started the journey and, and our path and many lessons and stories that, that we could share from, from the 30 journey. And so from the 30, just to clarify, that was 30 in a 12-month time period. That's what the record is, yeah, right? one calendar year. One calendar year, you had to complete 30 fly runs. And that's not, that hasn't been broken yet. No. Uh, official events? Official Ironman events. No. Not broken yet. No. So there have been athletes that have accomplished 30 Ironmans, but not not, not official not sanctioned official sanction race. Yep. That's what makes it so hard is because there's so many. It's the logistics. It's, it's the a logistics. Like you said, 11 yep. countries. Yep. Like I uh, I still have, I think you know this. You brought me back this little nutcracker thing from, I think it was Germany. And it's like this little hunting guy. And I, really? I put it out every Christmas. Oh, <laughs> I awesome. still have it. You okay. brought that back for me. <laughs> so it's still there. Right. So at the end of the 30, you're getting some traction now at this point. Yeah. Social you're media starting social to grow. Media. And people are like, well, and it's when it's when I actually got the nickname, the Iron Cowboy. Oh, that's right. Was during the 30. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had done like a pre-race prep in, in uh, uh, it, was, it was Ironman Canada and Penticton at the time, one of the best races on the circuit. I think it's actually the longest standing North American full distance race. It could be Napa, which was at the time was called Vine Man. Um, before Ironman turned it into Santa Rosa. But the, the Canadian Penticton one was super popular, ran every single year. My grandmother lived in the area. I grew up in Canada. I was like, I want to do that race. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of did it as a test this. race. And my kids, okay, we'll start with this. Ironman is the least friendly spectator sport on the planet. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> you, 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 one, you go through the entire process to get the athletes ready and the support system and all this is a massive sacrifice. And then on the day of, you're like, okay, we're going to cheer you on all day. And then you go off in the water and you disappear for well, like So back up for two hours. seconds. Give some perspective. Like like you just said it. It's a huge sacrifice at home. Absolutely. Like how many hours on, what's just an average? Like an average athlete, not someone at an elite level, but an average athlete, how many hours a week are they putting in to get ready for an Ironman? It, it, to do it right, it should be 12 to 15 hours or so. It's a half-time like it, job. It's, it's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely job. a part-time job. It's a second job. And that's so, if you've got a family, a So like career, you said, you've already sacrificed with your kids at home, and now they're going to come to this race, and they're going to get to see you for three seconds. Three seconds, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, this sucks for the kids. My kids at the time were nine and under. And I've got five kids, four daughters, one son. And I was like, okay, I need their energy when right. I see them and they want to see dad. Yeah, yeah. And they've got signs and posters. They've put all this time and energy and they've been waiting all day long. And so I'm like, well, holy crap, we all look the same. Yeah. We're in spandex, clean shaven. Yep. We want yep. to be fast. Typically everyone's wearing black and red. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. why is everyone picking the same colors? We look like we're the same person out there. Another me too. And so I was like, okay. I'm going to wear a cowboy hat and they're going to see me coming. Yeah. And so I, so I put on a cowboy hat during the marathon portion of it. And sure enough, down the road, they could see dad coming. They were going nuts. They could cheer. And the public started calling me, Hey, there's the cowboy. There's the cowboy. There's the cowboy. And I'm like, well, I'm allergic to horses and Hey, I'm not a cowboy. Stop it. <laughs> but eventually when we started doing the 30 Ironmans, I was like, okay, I'm starting to understand branding. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, again, my kids would come to a lot of the races. They were still super young. I, I want their energy and I want them to be able to have a good time. So during every marathon, during those 30 Ironmans, I'd wear a cowboy hat. So the right. one, the public could recognize me. We could, kids would recognize me. And then the public just started to call me the Iron Cowboy and it is stuck. But again, full, full disclosure, I am not a cowboy. <laughs> You're actually a cowboy. Um, you, you, you have horses, you ranch, you do all that kind of stuff. You are one of the baddest men I know. I am not a cowboy. Like I said, I'm allergic to horses and hay. Uh, but the public has deemed me this, and I, and I haven't worn a cowboy hat in years. It, it died. Um, I retired the Iron Cowboy, but it's just it's what I'm known as, and so that's what we go with. 
but it's also, I mean, this is a lesson in itself, right? Like, I think sometimes people are afraid to step forward. They're afraid to really let their light shine. I and mean, you were the opposite of that. You're like, look, I understand the power of branding now. And I want people to recognize me. And I'm willing to stand out from the crowd. I don't want to be just part of the crowd. I want to be different. Yeah. And especially, like you just said, in a sport where everyone looks exactly same. the same. Yeah. Like, same just, everybody's in spandex. Yeah, so I, uh, well, an amazing well, lesson, well, I think, there. Well, real quick, back to the sponsorship side of things is is everyone's trying to do something that everybody else has already done and they want to be a standout for it. In order to be successful, you got to be a little bit different. Yeah. And, and I call it creating your own lane. You have to have the confidence to create your own lane in Absolutely. order to stand out because the, these big sponsors now, they, they, they want two things. They either want you to be unique, different, or special, do something that nobody else has ever done before, or have a bazillion followers. Right. In order to get a bazillion followers, guess what you got to be? Unique, unique and different. different. Yeah, <laughs> unique and different. Exactly. You know, because that's what people are craving, you know, and, and in a day where it's like, where's the next shiny light? You gotta you gotta be consistently right. unique and different, or willing to beat yourself into the ground for yeah, a long, long period exactly. of time. Yeah. So now, this is a story I, I actually love too. You you'd accomplished it. You did the halves. You did the fulls. You got the record now, and it's locked in because mm-hmm. it's just solid. Like you set a super high bar. And I I can remember you kind of having an epiphany. I think you're driving with Sunny, and you're like, I want to do something that's going to rock the world. Like I've you've got the foundation now. You've put in literally. As, as Malcolm Gladwell will say, the 10,000 hours. You've done the 10,000 hours to get you to an expert level in what you're passionate about. And I remember you having this epiphany. I, you were driving with Sonny, weren't you? you were driving I, was, I, was in, I was in Arizona. It was right after an amazing experience I got to have in Lake Havasu um, where I got to pull a young man named Dayton with cerebral oh, palsy. Oh, that's right. And we were heading to Ironman, Arizona, and we were staying at my friend Dano's house. And it was, uh, my timing was terrible. And and I, because it was right at the end of the journey. It was race, tw- it was between race 27 and 28 of 30. And I, I, we had enough experience. We had enough momentum. We'd already broken the world record. The, the last few were just like gravy on the, on, on the top icing on the cake. And, and I, you know, again, I was watching the pioneer of our sport, which is Dean Carnassus, who had done 50 marathons. 50 days in 50 states and he was popping up everywhere and he was on the good morning show and he'd written a book and he was coaching and I was like that's what I want yeah that's what I'm leaning towards but I didn't know it at the time and I was like if he is having that kind of career by doing 50 marathons in 50 days what would happen right if I pulled it off with Ironmans and there was a shirt at the time you can uh, and and at the time um, there was a shirt that going around. It wasn't my shirt. I didn't write it. It said, "Oh, you've done a marathon. That's cute. <laughs> Try Ironman, right?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't write it, and I'm not definitely not demeaning anybody. This is a marathon because my first marathon, as we know, completely crushed me <laughs> yeah. and demoralized me, and almost defined me. Um, but I was like, man, if he had that experience with that, what would happen if I did that full distance try every single day, 50 days, 50 states? And then that's when I put on a um, shifted the trajectory of our journey. And here's what's interesting. Uh, again, I made the announcement. And when I made the announcement, it was the next it was the next natural progression in our journey. But to the newest member of the community, they said, no, that's not possible. It can't be done because they didn't know what happened prior right. prior to. And when I made the announcement, they didn't know the background. They didn't, they didn't know, know the foundation. Background. Exactly. They yeah. didn't know the stepping stones that got us to the point where we believed because at this point you're, that we could do it. You've been doing. So at this point, 13 years, right? 12 years? Yeah, right. 12 years of endurance work, of training, of coaching. Building. Like just building this huge, massive base. Correct. And so then um, I make the announcement. And it was actually shocking to me because we were mocked and ridiculed for having such a big goal. Right. But they... I can actually remember that. But again, they didn't have the backstory. and, and, And I was on that journey where I was like, okay, this is it. Nobody cared about the first two world records, but they're going to care about this one. And I'm going to use those two world records as credibility to get sponsorships for this one. And I remember talking to some big corporations, big companies, and they were like, amazing. Absolutely amazing. But we can't afford to associate ourselves with a failure. Right. And I said, I don't. Because they're, they're thinking it's impossible. It's impossible. And I said, I don't understand. I'm, I, have, I haven't failed yet. And my track record is proven that I, yeah. I follow through and I do and I'm durable. And they said, yeah, that's cute. But this is impossible. It can't yeah. be done. And so again, we had to bootstrap it. And I had the five little kids. I had my wife, and and I had to. I need. I knew I needed support. One of my favorite things is nothing great's ever accomplished on our own. And I knew I needed a team. 
Well, and, and this is the point where, like, obviously this is where the title of the book came from. Because they told you it was impossible. Yeah, right, yeah. And and I can remember having you say this, like, you're like, well, I'm going to redefine impossible now. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to change it. I'm yeah. going to change what your version of impossible. What they believe is impossible. Yeah, and, and so eventually at the end of this, that's where the that's where the title of the book came from. Absolutely. And so, you know, everybody's got their own lives and they're on their own journeys and they're doing their own things. And so to ask someone to take seven weeks out of their lives to come support us, proved to be more challenging than I thought. Yeah. I didn't have any money and I couldn't pay anybody. And I was coaching some athletes at the time. And but I at was, this point, you're getting some sponsors. Like, you got the motorhome. Yeah. So there's some sponsorships coming in. So it's, yeah, there, it's it, at it, least it wasn't, feasible. It wasn't money. It was more product side of things right. to support you. And yeah. so I'm like, well, this is that that's, that's definitely going to help. And so I there was two young men that were willing to help. Yeah, amazing young men. And their names are Casey Robles and Aaron Hopkinson. And I, and definitely we're going to have them um, on this podcast and, and talk about their experiences and their journey from their perspective because it's very unique um, because they really have had a front row seat over the past oh, decade yeah. to what we've done. Um, but early in those days, um, again, we were unproven. Casey's a second grade school teacher and we were doing this campaign in the summer because my kids are off school and I want to include my family and everything that I do. Well, naturally, Casey has the summer off. off. He was perfect. And then I needed I knew I needed another guy. Yeah. And uh, I was coaching Aaron at the time, phenomenal cyclist, and he was he was dabbling in triathlon. And so I was coaching him, helping him out and learning the sport. And at the time, he was kind of working at a job. He was at a sporting goods store and I painted this unbelievable picture and I was like, this is going to be the most amazing adventure. You have to do it. And I, dude, I convinced this kid to quit his job and come with it. And I'd never really worked at a high level with either of them on any project. And I, I got so lucky with these two yeah, kids you, because you they, hit they, they, I'd hit, they, I hit it out of the park because they were so exceptional um, in their own unique ways. And they quickly adapted to mine and Sonny's mindset of like, look, things are going to happen that will try to derail you. For and sure. this is going to come down to how good you are at managing a situation, staying calm, removing the emotion, and problem solving. And these two young men quickly discovered the ability to become master problem solvers and to continue to break things down until we solved the problem. There was never an opportunity to where we were like, okay, we're going to quit. we got to talk someone off the ledge. It was always like, no, we're going to keep trying to solve the problem. And it was all because of Sonny's lead. Oh, Sonny's the master at doing this, and she has taught these two young men to look, look, we're not here to look for ways out. We're not here to find the excuse. We're here to problem solve, and we're going to continue to do that until it solves that we can move forward. Well, and one of the things I watched through that whole experience, and unfortunately I wasn't able to be as involved at that time as I wanted to be. Like I was involved in a little bit of it, but to me was they were problem solving, but in a positive way. They kept such a positive light. They were able to keep keep it happy keep a good move like i like i absolutely love that and that, and that's sunny's lead again as well sunny's such literally sunny she's bright she's happy yeah. she's cheerful and she's able to to lead them that way which was massive i mean that was a good team so you started this like let's give some perspective to people cuz and this let me just give a little bit of background here this was one thing that was hard for me as 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 your friend and being so close to you for so many years and it made me realize later that I really felt like you were onto something because there were so many of our close friends that were against you. Like close friends that were like, you can't do this. This is impossible. You're going to get hurt. And what we realized at the end of it was not you. It was the logistics side. The logistics side was a nightmare. Well, and I think when you take a step back and you, and I still get messages today. I mean, we're seven years removed from, from that journey. Um, and I still get messages today. In fact, I got one this morning from a guy that that's setting up a big project, and he's there's it's pretty logistics heavy on what he's trying to do. And we that's what we do is we help people navigate those. And he's he's neck deep into figuring out those, those logistics. And he he just got through like a recon weekend of trying yeah. to figure it out. And he was like, every time I dive in and do something like this, I have a newfound respect for your team. Oh, it's amazing. And, and the navigating the logistics um, because when you really take a look at it. I mean, you got to think how big the United States is. Oh, it's crazy. And for the newest listener, the 50 was 50 full-distance triathlons, 50 consecutive days, one in every state. I was duplicating what Dean Carnassus did, but with an Ironman. And you got to think, just try to travel and eat a donut yeah. in, in all 50 in states state. in 50 days. Like, just yeah. like, figure that out and don't, don't miss a day. 
Right, and yep. now now remove the donut from the scenario and do a full a full yeah. distance triathlon that takes you fourteen hours because you got to pace yourself. Well, and so for those of you that are listening that haven't done a triathlon before, like hopefully we've got some some first time listeners on here. You, you start off with a two point four mile swim. Yep. Then you're doing hundred and twelve miles on a bike. Yep. And then you're running a full marathon, twenty six point two. Hundred forty point six miles. NBC Sport actually calls it the most difficult single day in sports. For sure. What What's the average time? Do you know what the average time is? Yeah, for, it's about fourteen hours and thirty minutes. Hours. And my wife's done a full, and her time was fourteen forty seven. And so she says the average time is fourteen forty eight. I like that better. <laughs> so she's one one minute faster than the national average for for, for doing for doing it. And so, but but. To put into context what we did leading up to that my average speed for the world record 30 ironmans was between 10 and 12 hours yeah yeah, yeah. for those we, yeah, we like, broke, you're, we like broke. you're a phenomenal athlete obviously well thank you uh and so but, and then when we did the 50 we we're like okay we're going to try to average between 12 and 14 hours in order to go slow enough to be able to accomplish it but we're talking about logistics and the insane heaviness of the logistics and to just we're Fast forward and not take too long on this episode, because in all of the episodes, we're going to be sharing experiences from both of our journeys. And most recently, I did what's called the Conquer 100. Right. And that was 100 full distance triathlons in 100 days. And we did it on a remote location. And this is where the idea came from. Life is about making mistakes, forgiving yourself for those mistakes, adjusting and doing it better. Right. We made mistakes on the 50 that were very public. It's in the book. It's in the documentary. We don't need to dive into those. Um, but we made those decisions because it was the betterment for the team, my safety, and fundraising. And, and so just real quick, the book is Redefine Impossible. Yep. And they can get that on Amazon. Yep. And our website, ironcowboy.com. But then also the documentary is on Netflix now. Um, it's actually, it's been on Netflix. It's currently on Amazon Prime. Perfect. And it's currently featured on Peacock. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, so if you if you haven't seen it, if you want more details, jump on there. We'll be talking about it. For sure. Like, we're, we're going to share these experiences. Tons and tons of stories. But Conquer 100, you're so, like, so the okay, way I'm going to do something even bigger. And what was the timeline between the 50 and the 100? Six years. Six years. Because I got thrown into speaking and mentoring and coaching, and it completely consumed me. And well, so, and now your body's totally different, too. Exactly. And I'm, I was 39, and I'm 45. Yeah. And so here's what's crazy is everything leading up to the 50 was stair-stepping. Right. Growth. Yeah. Building blocks. Well, after the 50, world changed. I was totally satisfied. Never wanted to do that again. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I wish I could do it again to do kind of fix, some things. fix some things and reset my history and, and prove to myself and others that I am who I said I was. Yeah. And so when the pandemic hit, it affected everybody in a different way. Um, and for me, I looked at it as an opportunity because my, my world of speaking and coaching and everything, 48 hours, shut down, disappeared, calendar wiped clean. And I'm like, yeah. what am I going to do? And then, boom, I was like, if I can remove chaos, if I can put systems and team in place, could I double what everybody said was impossible? Could I go out and could I, what we call, defy logic? And within a four-month training camp, prior to that, I got everybody, the team, the the band back together, (laughs) for for lack of a better term, um, did did a great job, had a lot of credibility, got some really powerful sponsors on board, um, and... uh, did a four-month training block. And like, like you just said, I'm a different athlete at this point. My journey's been different. I've been removed from consistently doing those things. Well, and, um, and physiologically, like, and you can, you'll explain this in better detail than I can, but as you age, recovery just takes longer. But like, you don't recover as quick. It does, and, and now you're 45. Yeah. Like, it, we're not kids anymore, man. No, I know. <laughs> we're, we're definitely getting out there. And I think, I think we're going to do a second podcast. This is going to be a two-parter, and the next one will be on the 100 and the things that we learned. But the, the reason the 100 came about was because of a culmination of our entire career, lessons learned, mistakes made, changes that were implemented, and my continuing pursuit to find the human potential, mind, body, and spirit, and again, to attach a greater cause and purpose to what we're doing and raising money for charity. We've done it with all of our campaigns. So we... I, I, I want to keep this short. That was a an amazing backstory. Um, yeah, you know I agree with you. Let's. Uh, I I really want to get into the hundred. Like, yeah. I want to. Like I want to talk about it. Yeah. Because you got another book coming out, right? Like, yeah. You're, we're, you're, we're, have you announced that? Can I say that? Yeah. We're, it, yeah. It, it is coming. We're in the process. I'm working with a great writer, Mishka out of Arizona. I've got a great publicist group um, that we're working with. We have high hopes that this is going to release um, spring of 2023. 
It's going to be called, I actually don't have the title of it yet, but it's going to be the notion of Defy Logic. And the books are going to be very different from each other. Um, and what's, what's been amazing for me is the realizing the impact that we've had on other people. Oh yeah, and, and that and that's what this book's it's ultimately going to do. Lives. Yeah, humbly it has, um, and this is what I've realized at a high level is our team's willingness to suffer intentionally has given people hope on their journey where they're not suffering intentionally. Right. And and this is one of my favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning by Victor oh, yeah, Frankl. Me too. If you haven't Phenomenal. read it, it's a must read. It's an easy read. It's a short read, but the the core principles in there are life changing, and the biggest core principle in there is one about hope. And it's a story of one man's journey, a psychologist who was in the Nazi concentration camps during the wartime. And and he was very positive, super optimistic, and he had hope and ultimately survived through that experience and has gone on to tell his stories. But what's interesting is, is he could tell the moment the prisoners and the workers and everybody lost hope because they died. And to me, what I pull from that is if if hope is life then that's what I want to try to do is I want to try to give people hope on the journey that they're on. And every time I speak, I try to do two things. I try to give you something and I try to take something away from you. And what I want to give you, and that's kind of the goal of this podcast, is to give everybody hope on the journey that they're on. And I want to take from you or remove any excuses that you have in your life. And so if if hope is life, excuses are death. And if I can create that scenario where I give you one and take the other... I'm giving you the best shot at success if you take that opportunity and make those changes in your life. And so I think that's a great place to sign off today. Yeah, I think so. Let's let's break it there. Um, and let's come back. Like, let's dig into the 100. Because I think there's, like you said, this all kind of culminated in the 100. And there was a million little lessons and some nuances that I was able, because it's here local. Yeah. So I was able to help and I was able to participate a lot more in the 100. Yeah. And I think there's some pretty cool stuff. Like, so you guys stick around. Come back, podcast number two. Yeah. Uh, the Grit Show, guys. All things grit. Yeah, this, this, is a, this is an exciting project. I'm super pumped about it. Um, just to, to let everybody know, again, I'm James Lawrence. I'm the Iron Cowboy. This is my best friend, Tyrell Gray. He's We're going to call him the Camel Cowboy. I like it. And then behind the scenes, we've got, as always, my beautiful daughter, Lucy, who is producing the show. So thanks, everybody. Hope you guys enjoy the show. It's going to be an amazing journey. And I'm signing off. Thank you for tuning in to The Grit Show.